Thanks to Sana Skin Studio for supporting the No podcast. Sana is a skin studio that is shifting the relationship with your skin and your products through goal-driven facials, real guidance, and clean skincare. Stay tuned for our promo code so you can receive $25 off of your first facial at Sana Skin Studio. Welcome to the No Podcast with me, Nikki Spo. What is up, you guys? You are listening to The No Podcast, and I am your hostess, Nikki Spo. The No is not about knowing everything. It's coming to know ourselves, and I'm really excited to host today's guest. Her name is Emily Rule, and she is a model, actress, producer, writer, and director. Emily has appeared in Teen Vogue, Marie Claire, WWD, Seventeen Magazine, Nylon Magazine, Oyster Magazine, Elle Canada, and Flair Canada, amongst like so many other publications. She has been the face of so many cosmetic companies, including Smashbox, Too Faced, KKW Beauty, and MAC. Emily first starred opposite Nicholas Holt in Drake Doremus's feature film, Newness, which premiered at the Sundance Film Festival, and she also made a cameo appearance in Troyan Belisario's short film, Life on Mars. More than that, though, Emily was like, F this shit, I'm not going to college, it's not for me, and she used her college fund to produce a film called Blue Moon, which is a love story that takes place in a single night, and it follows two young women through Los Angeles as they explore the depths of themselves and one another. It's a portrait of how nurturing mutual vulnerability can turn into pure magic. Um, Yeah, I'm all about this, and I'm all over learning more about Emily's mind. I'm fascinated and I want more. So Blue Moon is Emily's producing, directorial, and writing debut. The film premiered in October of 2021 at New Fest in New York City, and the short has been to over 100 festivals around the world and won numerous awards in categories such as Best Romantic Short, Best LGBTQ Film, Best Woman Filmmaker, Best Cinematography, Best Short Film, Best Director, and Best New Director. Let's get into the mind of fellow magic maker, Emily Rule. Emily, thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to speak with you today. And when I found out that you're friends with one of my close friends, former Playboy Playmate and a guest on my show, Cassandra Donna, I was like, yeah, she's got to be magic and I want to know this woman. So thank you. I'm really excited for a conversation today. Same. I'm so happy to be here. So I gave our listeners a little insight about your film, Blue Moon. Um, but why don't you get started and go ahead and give us a little backstory about how you decided to use your college fund to create this storyline and what the story is really about. I was a model for about 10 years and uh, every model wants to act. That was kind of the next natural progression. So I was acting, I booked a few things, got close to a few things, and then COVID happened. So I just decided to start writing my own stuff out of the blue. I don't really know what sparked that, but something did and it felt right. And I was spending a lot of time with one of my good friends, Olivia, who I met in acting class. And Olivia had just started seeing women and had spoken a lot about how she didn't feel represented. And I had met someone on Raya and we'd gone on like three dates and I thought it was really magical. So I wanted to write a little love story that took place in a single night and incorporate her story too. So it became two women and then she ended up acting in it. And she sings the theme song at the end and it was something that we did together. And I would say in the process of making it, it did feel like my life was changing and that I found something new and uh, it was a really magical moment and I used my college button, which I guess is, is meant to be used for education and I fully feel like making that short film having no experience was the best education I could have possibly had in the art of filmmaking. 
I think that like, like going to college is changing or the idea of going to college and what we believe qualifies as an education um, is shifting, especially with our younger generations. Um, and I think it's really beautiful to see. But you said something that really stood out to me about when you were modeling. It was that you, were, you felt like you were waiting around to be picked. So talk to me about that a little bit more because I, in my, listen, like one of the things, Emily, that I talk about a lot of my show is that like a lot of our feelings are the same, but they look different. Like I was never, I mean, I was a professional dancer for some time, but I was never like a model and I didn't go to like regular castings or whatever. But like, I definitely can relate to this feeling of like waiting to be picked, you know? And I think women receive that story a lot, like that messaging a lot, like, especially like what in terms of marriage, like when somebody's going to pick you to get married and you're so lucky and like all this stuff. And that's the story and that's the life that you're supposed to be living. And so I'm hearing that like in what you're saying, but in regards to modeling and that you were waiting around to be picked, you felt like you were waiting around to be picked. So can you tap into that a little bit and what that felt like for you? So I started modeling when I was 13, like straight out of eighth grade. Yeah. Uh, you grew up in LA? I grew up in Dallas. So I got scouted in Dallas and then I, I went to Japan because um, there's no child labor loss in Japan. So they, they sent you there and then I and then I went to New York. Um, I think it's kind of a dreadful feeling and I don't think you realize it at first, but I think slowly you start to really focus on what people think of you because that's the deciding factor in your career. And especially at that age, my career was my life, my identity, my everything. And my happiness was really dependent on the jobs that I booked. The jobs that I booked were really dependent on how skinny I was and what I looked like. And, and so it's a bit of a toxic um, cycle. And it's something that, again, I didn't really realize until I was out of it, how much work I needed to undo a lot of thought patterns. And like you said, it applies not just to booking a job, but to a partner. And I think having the amount of time that we all had to think during COVID, it was one of the things that I thought about. And I think I felt really stagnant in my life. And I had just gotten out of a relationship with someone who I thought I would marry. And if I did marry, you know, I probably would have just been a mom. And when that ended, I kind of thought, well, who am I? What do I want? Yeah. And one separate from a person. And what do I want that nobody can take? And that's when writing and making my own stuff came about. It was the beginning of everything. That's really beautiful, Emily. And like for what it's worth, like I can totally relate to that because I mean, I have three kids, right? And I have been married for for a while and I went through my own like identity crisis of like, am I just this? And that's not to say that like moms are just anything because it is like a, tr like a crazy ass job is to be a parent. But it's like, I remember feeling that exact same way. Like, is this it? Like, is this my life? Like, is this what it is? And, and, you know, some people are like, they want that. And that's amazing. I'm not sh like throwing any shade on anybody who wants that. But like when you have a fire in yourself that you're like, I want something more. And I, even when you don't know necessarily what it is, right? Like just knowing that you want something more, more of that, like, ah, uh, to life, like you have to go get it. I feel like I'm in that place and I'm, I'm like really, I'm fascinated by your mind and by what it took for you and like the courage to like really step into that and take ownership of it in a world that tells us to like be in the the mold that they want us to be. A thousand percent. I mean, I think making was the first time in my life that I didn't tell myself I couldn't do something. So how did you get into writing? Like what made you say like, okay, well, I'm going to start writing. Like I'm like, great. You're not going to go to college, but like, this is what I want to do. Like I want to write. 
you know, I honestly have no earthly idea. I think that I loved writing in English class. I was a middle school English teacher. And like, I love that you just said that. Like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I just loved writing in school. I love that. I loved my English teacher was like Miss Seaman and so much fun and really like made me excited about writing. And I, like I said, I went on like three dates with this guy who I call Mr. Blue Moon. He was kind of like my teenage dream. Like it was kind of love in a bottle. Like I did not know him and these were all just, you know, such an incredible experience. I just felt such an inclination to put that on paper. But I mean, when I first wrote Blue Moon, like, there was no dialogue. I thought we were just going to improv it. Like I didn't know how to write dialogue. Um, I just had a stack of scripts that I had auditioned for and I would go through and just copy the structure of those scripts. And I just found a writing program online called Writer's Duet and taught myself how to use it and then wrote it like in two weeks, which I don't really recommend, but I did. And reproduction was another two weeks. We shot it in a weekend and I finished it in about three weeks. So it was a very accelerated period of time. Um, and now I just finished writing my first TV pilot. So grown a lot. And I think just taking that initial jump. And if it didn't work, it didn't work. And nobody ever had to see it. And work thank goodness and now i'm talking to you i'm i'm like obsessed with this story so what has your what has been your personal journey in understanding and embracing your own sexuality and love i mean so i didn't go to high school like regular high school i went in all my high school so i didn't have that normal boy means girl kind of making out behind the bleachers sorts of thing my first boyfriend i met on a plane um going to new york and uh we dated for like three months, I spent every day with him. And then I met his parents and I slept with him for the first time. And then I came out to LA for a modeling contract. And he woke up with me the next day to go back to his ex-girlfriend. Um, and then funny enough, like recently I circled back and been like, you're the one. And I'm like, no, I'm not. You're actually like, like no, no, no. You know, I didn't really grow up being told I was beautiful. I grew up being told I was smart. So the moment I was told that I was pretty, it was kind of like a kid in a candy shop. And it was also around the advent of Tinder. So it became a little bit like a game and it became, you know, where you've had a different date every night and that was serving a lot of my validation. And I think I was also coming out of childhood. So I was seeking people that were emotionally unavailable. And then around like 22, I met someone and we kind of trauma bonded really quickly. A few things happened in our lives. And I like to say we were good people, but bad for each other. And I, but I wanted so desperately to be, like, be loved and he was really providing that. And the relationship wasn't great, but I was like, let's move in together. That'll make it better. Doesn't make it better. Um, and when that ended, I felt like I was really at one of the lowest places in my life and I needed to get myself together and realize how many qualities of that relationship that he never wanted again. So I will say every relationship since then has been much better. It's funny. I... I think I'm only now at 27, really starting to figure out my sexuality and like what I like. You know, and I didn't even like have an orgasm until I was 23, 24, something like that. Um, and now it's so interesting trying to find my relationship between like sex and love and do they exist on the same plane? Can they exist separately? Like what does love really mean? And I'm starting to find that that's something like love needs to be like mutual and ordered it to be real or else it's just one-sided and that's kind of admiration. I'm currently dating. I hired a matchmaker. So this has been a fun process because I've, yeah, it's interesting. I feel like in the first time in my life, I'm looking for a partner that I could call family and, and 
share the good and the bad and and you know take to weddings and and do the whole thing which as before i was just like oh you have abs like great let's hang out and now when you talk about sex and love and can they be on the same plane like do you think that they can be i think they totally can be and i do think they can be separate i right had sex with people i didn't love i mean i i've had like ex-boyfriends where the best thing about their relationship was sex and we kept having sex after we broke up but then i've also noticed that the best sex i've ever had is with the person i've been most in love with and then it's different and then it's this like cosmic thing that like takes over your whole body and is more than just a rush of you know adrenaline it's 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 so it's spiritual basically right so and that's the difference between like fucking and making love i'm gonna date myself a little bit here right so i i'm 36 years old and i don't know if you've been following along recently but i just hosted like a women's sexual health event and like it was catered mostly towards women my age who are like in their mid-30s maybe early 40s have had their kids and they're like some of these people for the first time ever are like coming face to face with their sexuality because this has not been a conversation that has been like promoted Mm -hmm. for people. Like it's been taboo for women to talk about. Like we're not supposed to talk about our own pleasure and our own experiences. It's so refreshing, Emily, that like the generation that's coming like after me, you know, and your like your generation, so 10 years younger than me is like, addressing this earlier because like I feel like my peers are addressing this now and it feels early for us right like we're here in our mid-30s and we're like addressing it and we're like oh fuck we're finally addressing this thing right and we're like we're on to something new but it's really interesting to see that younger people are actually paying the fuck attention and younger women are paying attention I think it's just so so important and I want to talk to you about like how your perspective on love and sexuality evolved over the years, especially like being in the public eye, you know, like, yeah. cause that's like a different thing too, which I can relate to, to an extent, like what's been your experience with that? Well, I think, I mean, one of the things that kind of came up while you were talking was being 13, 14, 15, 16 and like shoot a lingerie. Yeah. And wow. Sexy. And I mean, there was one instance I remember I was shooting for a magazine and we were in the Dominican Republic and by myself and they wanted me to shoot topless and I was like 15 and I no and then became a bit too and so having that of almost expecting to be sexy but not really knowing what sex is um and then when you first start having sex just making all the noises you think you're supposed to make yeah and you're like why do this isn't fun like what am I what am, am I just here for you but as far as like dating in the public eye I think it just makes you be a little more specific and then you happen to resonate more with people that have similar experiences with you good or bad like I have an ex-boyfriend whose mom is a successful actress and that felt really easy that felt really easy it only lasted yeah. 11 days but felt really easy I feel like it's harder especially living in LA to find um someone that cares about you for you and not what you can do for them yeah and I'm sure that that kind of exists everywhere, but in Los Angeles specifically, you know, everybody's trying to be somebody totally. and not people are having success. So uh, it can really affect your self-esteem. And I think you tend to meet people at similar levels of self-esteem as you. I also try to find soul connections with people. Um, and that happens with all of my friendships through my whole life. And I'm not just saying like through my marriage, but like through my whole life. 
I've looked for a soul connection, you know, and it's interesting because you talk about like how you vibed with somebody for just 11 days, you know, and it was great for those 11 days. Like, I feel you on that. I think that love is love and it comes in all different shapes and sizes and timelines and each one is just as valuable as the next. And that's what I wanted to explore in Blue Moon too, is that falling in love with somebody for one night can be just as meaningful as love that you've had for someone for years. I really want to talk about Blue Moon because I haven't actually seen the film yet and I, I would, I cannot wait. Like just based on like, just like everything that I've learned about you through doing my research and prepping for this interview, I'm like, oh my gosh, this girl knows, this woman knows what's up. Like it's crazy because like I have a magic wand tattoo on on that I just got recently. And I'm like, I feel like I'm always on this pursuit of magic. And I feel like you are too. Like, I don't know, like, I don't know you, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know you personally, but like, I feel that from, from you. And I feel like you really, based on what I've learned about Blue Moon, like you really try to convey that in the film. A thousand percent. I mean, the tagline is, if you believe in magic, once in a blue moon, you might just find it. And I think that that's such a great tagline for life. Um, I think I got sober when I was 20. And Shut so the I- fuck up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've been sober for three years. I'm so ex- I'm excited to hear that. Congratulations to you. And so I think ever since I stopped doing drugs, I tried to find like magic elsewhere. And yeah, I get that. And uh, I found that that really existed in my relationships and the people that I met. And uh, I think magic as well, we think that it's something that just happens to us. And sometimes that's the case as well. But I, I think that we can also contribute to our own magic in our daily lives. I think it resides within us too. Like I read a quote once and I'm going to mess, I'm going to like butcher it, but it was like, everything like the thing that you see is you right like so when you if you are seeing magic in your life like that's you like you are showing up as magic and so you're attracting it and you're experiencing it in your life not necessarily because it's outside of you but because it's within you and I think that's like a really beautiful way to like look at things and like all all of the good things and the bad things though right like like, and we can say the same thing for negative feelings and negative experiences. Like, oh, well, when I see all these, the, the, I'm looking at the terrible and everything is terrible around me. It's like, well, something terrible might be going on within me. And I know like, like speaking candidly about, you know, my time using and, and in addiction, like no shit, everything in my life was falling apart. Well, because I was falling apart on the inside. Right. You know, so like that, those were the colored glasses I was wearing. Like, I'm, I don't know, like, obviously like life is in sunshine and roses all the time but I'm like trying to put on my like sparkle glasses whenever I can like whenever I get that opportunity I'm like let's sparkle glasses the fuck out of this situation (laughs) like because I'm trying to I'm trying to live that life you know even in the ugly bits like even in the bullshit let's talk about blue moon it's a um same-sex relationship it was great to just be able to represent and give a voice to a community that's like so many of my chosen family members are a part of and that was really significant to me. And it was really significant to me to just show that like love is love. And yeah. it doesn't, it's not prejudiced to gender or race or anything like that. And that it can exist in, in such special places and such special ways. But to be able to show that was really important to me. And to be able to like have that film play in Russia and China and places where being gay is not accepted was incredible. I'm like, I don't know you, but I'm like, I have like pride for what you're doing. Like, like I'm proud that this is part of your ethos is that you're trying to put this into the world. And like pride, you know, pride is such a weird thing because like it sounds like people have ownership, but I'm like, when I'm just listening to you, I get really excited for you about what you're doing. And I think it's really important work. 
Um, and I think it takes a lot of vulnerability. And so you mentioned before about like when you were 15 being asked to pose topless and and being in a, that really vulnerable position. So as someone who's worked in these various roles in media, like specifically after that experience where you were asked at 15 to pose topless, like have you since then felt vulnerable in expressing or portraying love or sexuality? I think I just felt like a responsibility rather than a vulnerability. I feel like with Blue Moon specifically, it was important for me to have that ending be a little ambiguous and that okay if that existed just in that night and, and that expectations are something that can kind of cause us some pain. And if we just experience something in that moment, it's, it can be really beautiful. And, you know, even the second short that I made is called 13 Stepping and it's about my time in New York and it's kind of such and rock and roll and I said at AA and I felt uh, an extreme uh, responsibility to just be honest about my own past experiences and, and while my relationship with sex was when I was drinking and uh, and even afterwards. And the third short that I'm doing is called Pretty Sad, which is kind of, it involves themes of sexual assault and violence and expectations of women. So I think that if anything, I just felt a responsibility to you maybe the more negative things that have happened in my life and to turn them into something beautiful and to turn them into talking points so I can have this conversation with you now. I wish that I had been able to hear that when I was 12, 13, 14. Amen to that. Vulnerability versus responsibility. Like, amen to that because like a lot of what I even do with the show is like, it's who who is my demographic of listeners? Like it's me, like five, 10 years ago. You know what I mean? Like people that like, I wish I had known that. I wish I had somebody to tell me that. And especially like in my own sobriety journey, like I wish I had known those things a long time before. And, you know, I, I personally, like I try not to get like too hung up on that because again, going back to this idea of like, you, cr I'll cross those bridges when I get there. I think that like, it takes as long as it takes for you to learn a lesson and learn it right. You know, and I, that's been my experience. But you mentioned like something about how your relationship with sex was while you were drinking and even afterwards, like, in an act of radical honesty, like what did that mean for you? Well, I think when I was drinking and partying, I was sleeping with people who made me feel good about myself, but it was so superficial. Like, and they were like, they were not emotionally available. And they really, I think, just observed me as this like thing that helps their ego. And, you know, I was roofied and I was sexually assaulted and I had, I had the whole gamut of things that happened to you. And I think that I really looked to the men who liked me as my validation. Right. It comes back to what you were saying before. Yeah, they picked me, but I stopped drinking. And I think sex filled that hole. My relationship with it almost didn't get much healthier. It kind of reversed. I think it really took falling in love in a healthy relationship when I was like 23, 24, 25 to understand that like this was a way of me expressing my love towards somebody else. And even towards loving myself, right? And that it was so much more than ego. And that it was so much better when you could let ego go. Because I feel like even in that kind of not so great relationship that I was talking about that I had when I was 22, I think I definitely used sex as like a way to keep him around, mm -hmm. you know? And it was a little manipulative. And I wasn't always enjoying myself, but he didn't know that. You know, I wasn't right. really honest with him about what I liked. I didn't even know what I liked, you know? And, yeah. and I think now... It's a little bit different. And I think now my standards are a little bit different. 
And kind of the treatment that I expect in general from a partner is so much better than it was when I was 20. You know, now it's like consistent communication makes me feel safe. Like asking me how my day was, you know, like those kind of thoughtful things are so much more important than a rented Audi and a pair of abs, right? So it's it's all changed um, and hopefully it'll just keep getting better. Well, I hope that for you. That makes like, first of all, like the fact that you even like feel that way, like makes me happy for you. And I like I it's wild because I'm like, I think about my life and I'm like, oh, my gosh, the best days are yet to come. Like, I just know it in my bones that the yes, like the best days are yet to come. And I like again, like I don't know you personally, Emily, but I'm like, I know that for you. Like I straight up I like I know it for you. Like it can't not be. It can't not be like it has to be. You know what I mean? Thank you. Yeah, it was interesting yesterday. I just kind of had a moment to myself, like before I went to bed, like, you know, I have my business and I have all these things, but like, I cannot wait to have a partner and have a little person that I just like adore and that I get to go to the park with. And just to be able to have those kind of connections and, and those kind of dynamics, I'm, I'm really excited for. This conversation is so good, but before we keep going, I want to take a minute to thank our sponsors, Sana Skin Studio. The best way for me to describe Sana is that it feels like coming home. Unlike traditional facials, Sana's facials are rooted in education, and I love this so much. Every experience I've had at Sana has been a chance to learn more about my skin and its needs. I love that the facials are effective while also being accessible enough to be a monthly ritual rather than a yearly splurge. I'm honored to be able to provide our audience with a promo code. Use the code the no glow for $25 off of your first facial at Sana when booking via sanaskinstudio.com. So let's talk a little bit about um expectations because you mentioned that in relationships. And like I want to talk about like this idea that you know like having no expectations can really leave you set up for something really beautiful to happen and not also be disappointed but like also having expectations and standards and like a value system that you operate on. And so like, where does that, where does it, ba- like, what is the balance between, or where does it fall? Like where do expectations fall on a, like a balance scale? I mean, I think trying to surrender expectations of outcome. I did something which I had never done before a couple of weeks ago. I was dating somebody and, and then the communication just kept getting really spotty. And he, we were supposed to get dinner on a Monday. I didn't know when or where until 6.30 that night. And I had already kind of assumed that it wasn't happening. And uh, and then he was like, no, we're having dinner at 8.30. And I ended up calling him and I was like, hey, I like you. Like, I really like you, but this kind of communication just doesn't make me feel good. You know, he's not my person that didn't end up working out, but I was just really proud of myself that I could communicate that and not feel crazy. And so I think having that expectation of like my time is just as valuable as yours. Respect your time. Like I my I I want to be treated with like kindness and thoughtfulness and and someone who's like patient and excited for me and like wants to see all the things I need and I want to see all the things they made and that kind of mutual cheerleader, someone that can kind of get along with all people from all walks of life, right? They're kind to the leaders there. They're polite to to everybody is is super important. And I don't think I really paid attention to those things. And and you realize this, that how people treat those around them is really how they treat themselves. So true. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. That's, oh yeah. my gosh, yes. I mean, like, you know, it's funny you say that because for a long time I like had, you know, I have a little bit of resting bitch face or I used to anyway. Now I feel like I walk around like and I smile at people and I say hi to everybody. But like, I came off as really, really cold for a long time. 
And, you know, something that I learned about myself over time is that I was acting cold because I was cold on the inside. Like I really was, you know, like I had so much of my own bullshit and drama and trauma and whatever, all of it that like it, it left me cold. And like, as I've begun to heal myself and heal my life and heal all the things around me, that's changed. Like I don't feel that way. And it it goes back to like what we were saying before about like the color glasses you want to see and like what you, what you are is what you see around you. You know, I think it's all tied together. I totally agree. So can you tell us about a time that you felt a strong emotional connection with a character that you were portraying? Yeah, I mean, probably in the in the short that I made called 13 Stepping, which we're now adapting into a TV show. That's the pilot I, I talked about just having finished. Um, the character's name is Lily. And she's a much more exaggerated version of me. But a lot of the circumstances that she experiences are things that I've experienced. And mm-hmm. We shot kind of a pr- proven concept short film for that. And so I had to relive some of these traumatic moments, which was an interesting exercise. And I feel like it was also really healing at the same time. But, you know, in order to make myself cry on cue, you have to go back to really traumatic memories. And it was really beautiful. And I was really proud of myself that I was able to do that. I think I had a lot of insecurity about acting, just due to the amount of rejection I had had. And so to be able to accomplish that was really great. And, you know, while we shot it, it was hard for me to separate myself from the character while we were working on it, which might not be the most healthy, but it, it proved for a really great outcome. And now figuring out the rest of the season and like the pilot and, and how we're adapting the short into, into the show, it's really exciting. And it's really wonderful to be able to take those really terrible experiences and put them through the kind of artistic lens and make right with with bad things that happened and, and you know drinking and doing drugs and all of that and something I never ever thought I would ever talk about I was very secretive about it all nobody really knew it was something I was very ashamed of and it just feels really empowering to be like I don't care this was a part of my past I don't judge myself like look where I am now like let's talk about it let's talk about it because everybody knows someone who's struggling and it doesn't have a loud enough voice. So to be able to resonate with a character that I wrote, to be able again to give a platform to a subject that I think needs to talk about has been awesome. I couldn't agree more. And, you know, I read something somewhere. I really don't even, I don't remember where I read it, but it was I, it was talking about the idea that that when we heal ourselves, we heal those around us, right? But it was more in regards to the work that we do, right? Like we think about work and being of service to people and like, I think a lot of religious dogma will have us believe that like life is about sacrifice and service, sacrifice and service and serving others and serving others and serving others. And while I am a huge advocate for like serving other people and like being of service in my community, which I love, I was born and raised here in Miami, you know, like and beyond. um, I think that like when we serve, you know, for, for people who do believe in this, like their higher power, but like really are like ourselves when we serve ourselves and we're doing work that we really t- truly believe to be, be meaningful, we heal all the people within our periphery. Um, because like by you being vulnerable enough to attach yourself to a character, to write about a character that you so heavily identify with because of your own experiences, you know, and so you've mentioned you exaggerated the character and having to portray that character. Like 
you are healing yourself. And thus, because of your vulnerability and your portrayal, you're healing other people who like, you don't even know those people. You know what I mean? Like you don't even know all the people you're going to heal because of this. You know, like I try to tell myself that with, with the show, even I'm like, okay, like this, you know, and I joke about it all the time. Like literally I've said in 500 episodes, I haven't even had 500 episodes. I've said it in like maybe 50 of my 100 episodes that like, you don't need a, you don't need a podcast. You need a therapist. But I'm like, no, some people need to have their voice heard and their experiences put out loud, you know, because we aren't alone in these experiences. That's the thing is that like they're, the secret is the poison, right? Like they're like keeping the secret is like drinking poison. And when you put it out there, you're like, okay, I have nothing to hide anymore. Like there's so much freedom and power in that. And I think the shame and yeah, fear, judgment and I think that, like you said, our feelings are so common. We just experience them in different ways. Totally. And so the fact that you are doing this and you're you're connecting with these characters that you're writing and then that they're parts of you, like by doing the work that you love, you are then healing other people. And I think that that's really powerful and something that like, if you aren't already taking it with you, like take that shit with you because that's like, that's totally what you're doing. And so- Next thing I want to talk about is like, what what's one thing that you wish people understood better about your journey, like towards a sex positive and love positive mindset? I think that it just, it took a lot of work and it wasn't easy and it took a lot of mistakes. It took an extreme amount of mistakes to get to where I exist now. And I wouldn't change any of it, you know, all the bad I would take. Because I think that it taught me everything I know now and without it, I might be a little less of who I am. And I think it built extreme empathy. And I don't judge. There's nothing you've done that I haven't done or seen or experienced. So it's made me have a really open mind and just a lot of compassion, I think. And not only compassion for others, but compassion for yeah. And like learning how to be gentle with yourself as you move through different transitions in your life, like stages in your life. Yeah, exactly. So what is the impact that you want to have on people? Like, what do you want our audience to take away from this specific conversation? That they can learn by doing. That I love you that. Follow a traditional route. That you can be in charge of your own destiny. That stop texting the guy that's not texting you back. <laughs> he, yeah, if he's making you feel nauseous, he's not your soulmate. Um, and that making a mistake isn't necessarily bad. It gets better. I love that, that it gets better because it, it does. You know, and something that I've been telling myself is that like, it's like a mantra that I've been that one of my, my great friends, Jamie Lee Ruiz, always says to me is like, my life keeps getting better and better. And like, I believe it on a soul level. And so it is like, that's what it is. Like it can't not be. Emily, I really appreciate your time today. I appreciate you like being so open and raw and like, just like for being you, you know? And then I don't think enough people say that to each other. Like, thank you for being you. Like, thank you for being you. Thank you for being you. Is there anything else you want to talk about mama? Well, I think if anybody wants to stay up to date, with all the things we've going on and watch for you can go to publicschoolpictures.com and yeah that's kind of it and where can people find you on on ig i'm at emily wolf and that's r-u-h-l 
We can't wait to follow you along on your journey. I'm so excited for you. Thanks, Nikki. This podcast was brought to you by Sana Skin Studio. Be sure to use my code, the no glow for $25 off of your first facial at Sana when booking via sanaskinstudio.com. More than a skin studio, Sana is a movement towards healthier skin and self-love. Thank you so much for listening to The No. If you loved this episode, go ahead and share it with a friend. Words are so powerful and someone may need to hear what we covered today. And if you really loved this episode, please take a moment to rate the show and leave a review. Your comments are so important and valued and they give other listeners insight on what to expect on The No. You can connect with me personally via Instagram at Nikki Sap Spo and The No with Nikki Spo. My hope for you today is that you are fearless in looking inward so that you can be your highest, most authentic self and go after the life of your dreams. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.